On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we are joined by Dr. LaToya Watkins. She holds a PhD from the University of Texas at Dallas, and her writing has appeared in McSweeney's, Kenyon Review, the Pushcart Prize Anthology, and elsewhere. She has received grants, scholarships, and fellowships from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, McDowell Colony, Yaddo, Hedgebrook, and A Public Space. Her debut novel, Parish, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, LaToya. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. Me too. About Parrish. Exactly. So Parrish is a sprawling, multi-POV story that is not going to be easily summed up in one line. But can you try and give us a little flavor of what Parrish is about? Okay. If I were giving this as a short, I'd say the messiness of family and how we navigate that and still come out on the other end, um, considering ourselves as family. But I think the longer one-liner is (laughs) essentially about this family coming together to say goodbye to this very complicated matriarch and this reunion forcing them to ask each other and themselves questions and make actions towards their family members that either lead to change or the family's demise. Oh, I Mm. love that. You've got that down now. (laughs) And I love that you referred to Helen Jean as the complicated matriarch, because that's exactly where I want to start. We are a podcast devoted to uh, complicated women in in books, movies, and TV shows. And so um, you've given us more than one in Parish, but I do want to start with Helen Jean. Um, when we first meet her, she's the only girl in a family of men who in 1955 at 16 years old makes this covenant with God after a failed abortion attempt on the floor of her family's outhouse. And she hears this voice telling her she must bear it or perish herself. And that moment changes the trajectory of her whole life. And so we want to start just by hearing about your development of Helen Jean and really how pivotal that opening scene is for her as a character. I think the, I'll start with the opening of the scene, because I think that um, starting with that, that opening scene leads us, me to talk more about Helen Jean and how the development of her character went. Um, I think that opening scene is important because we see Helen Jean in so many different places. All of her decisions affect the people that um, come after her. So a lot of, of that weight 
and a lot of blame could easily be placed on her. But I wanted to show her or start there with her as a girl because she came to me as a girl. And I remember being 16 and I remember not understanding how my decisions would affect the rest of my life. And I remember I had a mother and my mother was always warning me, but I was never listening. Um, And Helen Jean doesn't have that. All she has is the a lot of pain that she has seen and this religion that's not fully formed in her head. And Mm -hmm. she kind of takes this as a sign and moves forward. And I kind of want, wanted to explore what that um, looked like and felt like so that as we get to these other stories, there's not so much, I think we're all, complicated people, complicated, you know, women. So I didn't want her to come through in the story as a villain. I wanted someone to, I wanted readers to at least be able to feel something for her. Um, And I think taking her back um, to that place, being 16 and um, really thinking she had no choice because of issues or agents much larger than her um, was very yeah. important to um, balance her out in, in I lo- a way. I love that you, yeah, I love that you wrote that she is both powerful and powerless. And that is what comes through. And that is what gives her the complexity of not being a villain. And that moment when she's a young girl and she's so convinced that she can, this means something that, I was I was in. I was all in on her. Oh, right good. from I'm that. Glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So Helen Jean is not the only strong, complicated woman in your novel, obviously. There's Julie, a woman who regrets her wasted youth and time spent under Helen Jean's thumb. Jan, a mother who yearns to go to school and leave her small Texas town. And Lydia, whose marriage is falling apart because her body can't seem to stay pregnant. We obviously have a fascination with exploring these complicated women and the characters and also the women who create them. So tell us a little bit more about writing these women. Who came first? Who gave you the most trouble? Who was the easiest? Um, And and what did they teach you? Any of those uh, answers is up for grabs. Overall, in the whole um, novel, Helen Jean came first. And then there was Lydia And then there was Jan. Julie B came very, well, she was always in in the novel, but she didn't have a voice of her own in the beginning. Mm. There was no Julie B perspective because she was kind of in the background. She is a complicated woman, but for much of her life, she's been um, a silenced woman. So I created her in that way from the beginning, but then thought about the complication even in that, of silence, right? Um, And I wanted to give this silent woman a voice um, as well because she is also doing things um, in the background. And so I think if I learned anything, I learned that um, silence is also complicated, that what we don't Mm. say 
um, or that what we're not, mm-hmm. our inactivism is also activism, right? Like in it many says ways, something. Yes, yeah. what Julie B does and doesn't do in her power, less power mm-hmm. affects people. Yeah. And I think that that was the biggest lesson I got um, in this, looking for those quiet characters and listening to them and what they have to say. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So another big theme in this book is coming home. Um, and Parrish, to us, just has this such a strong sense of place. Um, you said it in Jerusalem, Texas. You are a Texan. Um, it feels just very grounded in strong roots. Um, so I wanted to talk about your choice of setting and how the research I understand you were doing on the Great Migration in graduate school was part of the inspiration for this novel. It was. My family comes from West Texas, which is where I set Jerusalem. And we moved away when I was very young, but we went back um, for summers up until I was about 16 or 17. We would go and spend summers with our family. But a lot, by the time I got to graduate school, a lot of my memory of West Texas, there was a lot of, um, of shame or lack of understanding because of what I saw as backward, right? Like there was a lot of, there was segregation still very clear that everyone stayed in their own part of town. When I started researching, I went to UT Dallas and it was very hard to kind of carve out something that a committee or a chair would be willing to work with me on. And Mm -hmm. I um, encountered someone who I was already kind of learning a lot about my family. When I started graduate school, I already had a family and I had children. So when we start to get older, we start to lose people. So I had started going back to West Texas to bury people and to see people buried. So I became curious about how are these towns and these small cities still so segregated and and so separated? So I started kind of reading a lot about them and reading about religion and how the Christianity and and churches and Mm -hmm. what they were and what they are. So I had this going on in the background. And then I met this professor who was, I didn't find out right away, but he was very intrigued by a story I had written for a class of his that ended up being parish. Oh, wow. He was very intrigued by it and where it was set. And he ended up telling me he was from Quana and he was very intrigued by it. Like he was an older man. So he had been in cotton fields with black people and like he knew the history in a way that he was able to guide me and lead me to the things that he was curious about, but didn't feel he had the authority to write or speak about. So it was pretty cool to run into him and be able to study my people and the land and how they fit into this history of the great migration. But I also talked to a lot of people in these different cities and towns that I visited during research. And the women were the talkers. 
first, right? Mm. Like they were the ones who carried the stories and they were complicated, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Because there were some things that they would tell me that I would be very interested in, but it was the parts of those stories that I knew they were leaving out that I was even yeah. more interested in. So it became a project about people, well, place first, and then yeah. the people who had been formed and shaped by this place. And then I didn't realize that I had focused so much on the women until people started asking questions about them. And I said, well, that's who, that's who was talking to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's who yeah. was willing to share the stories. Yeah. Well, you're like part reporter, but then you made it into a novel. You you created story out of it. And I want to talk about the structure of the novel in that way. It spans decades and is propelled by, as we've already discussed, multiple points of view. I mean, it's so ambitious. How did you settle on the structure? What point of the process did you, I mean, I can't imagine you were like, word one, this is, you know, this is how it's all going to go. Um, how did you figure that out? And and especially, I'm I'm interested in time. Did you always know that it, you wanted it to be this multi generational? Because I do think that's a main theme of of the story. So, at what point did you know all of this? I think the, with the first draft, I tend to when I'm drafting, kind of not focus on the craft, what I'm doing, um, or what I'm supposed to be doing. So mm-hmm. I let. I let teach teach me. (laughs) That's the hardest part for me. It's actually the easiest easiest part is the drafting because I'm not thinking about it, right? Like I'm not really really paying attention to spelling, grammar. I'm not sometimes I'm not even paying attention to voice. So that's that's the for me, that's the quickest part, right? I think it didn't take me as long to the first, it was a novella at first. And okay. that was, it was about night, right wow. at 90 pages. And it took me two days to write the novella, but to go back and make it into a novel when I needed a novel, that took a while because I had to sit with that idea and I had to sit with those characters again longer. So I think I did the sitting a lot longer. I sat with them for about two years and then it took me about a year to get the story all out. And of course I was parenting, I was working, I was doing all of these things. Mm So it was really hard to get to the writing. I was probably writing maybe three hours a week, getting good writing in. But when I first, that first draft came through, I don't know what this story was. I didn't know what this story was. There (laughs) were... Mm -hmm. 15 or 16 narrators um, oh, wow. in, in the beginning because I had this idea. I had read oh. As I Lay Dying and A Gathering of All Men, Passing a Mangrove. I was, I was reading those books and I was like, I want to do something as solid as that with as many characters mm-hmm. as that. And I had this idea that we were always changing. So this would be this cheaty way not to go back to these characters, like to just move on. (laughs) Yes. Add more. Um, Add more. But as I, it took me much longer to revise and throw in like these ideas about craft. So what I really had to do was 
the science of, of crafting, right? And get down Ugh. and look at who really belonged there, who really belonged in the family. So there was a lot of chiseling and removing um, and changing perspectives and point of views. But the time, it being multi-generational was something that I really didn't, I didn't realize that we were, I was dealing with oh, wow. so much time because the present tension of the story is a single day, right? Right. Her passing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't realize that until I think I was done with like the third draft of the book. I was like, wait, there's a lot of time wow. passing here. Um, oh my gosh. So there was a pausing to go back and explore these time periods so I could get those things right. Cause that was something that I had said I didn't want to do ever like right, right. About the past. So yeah. That's so great that you didn't even know you were doing it. But the past informs what's going on then. Yeah. 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 Well, that actually leads nicely to my next question because um, this really is a story of intergenerational trauma and how secrets and shame get passed down and what happens to all those involved when we stay silent. Mm -hmm. And the antidote to me from reading it seems like truth. Um, And Corinne and I are sort of obsessed with um, something I recently heard Cheryl Strayed say. Um, She said, suffering comes from believing a lie will keep you safe and the truth is where the danger is. Why do we believe this? And Mm -hmm. yes, so... That was our, that's like been something we've been talking about. And I feel like that's sort of the takeaway from the novel. But I wanted to ask you. I, I, that's exactly what I wanted to (laughs) readers to, I mean, it's even more developed than I was thinking readers would get from it. Mm -hmm. I love that Mm -hmm. because there, I think that there are so many people who suffer, um, because the truth seems um, like something scary and they don't trust that it will lead to healing or this forward mm-hmm. movement. So I, I am I come from a place in, in the world where the silence is is easier, right? Like you don't talk yeah. about these things. We don't you take these things to your grave. But I have a sister who went on to become a therapist and there were always, there were always these ways in which I feel like she led our, our entire family to a place to where speaking mm-hmm. our truths to people was even the, the, what we've considered the smallest truths, right? Um, like this hurt yeah. me. What you said mm-hmm. hurt me yeah. Um, yeah. can actually lead to healing and redemption and change yeah. um, in future generations. So I, that was really important to me that people understand that truth isn't um, a villain or a, a, a scary thing or a thing that is supposed to help you. Um, yeah. I mean, supposed to hurt you. It's a thing that is there to help you. It's a beautiful, truth is beautiful. Um, mm, and yeah. I, I hope more of us move toward that. Uh, yes. I, that is so beautiful. I'm so moved. I, I think one of the scenes for me that really 
demonstrates how complicated and complex this is, is the scene with Jan and the, and um, J- Javon and Jazeera in the bathtub and the whole arc of it when she's mad and she lashes out and it doesn't even seem to, you, you don't even seem to know what the trigger is, but it's something deep inside her, but then she doesn't want it to be that way. And she grabs his hand and hugs him and, oh, I'm, I'm getting emotional. Um, because personally, as a child, I grew up in chaos and poverty and addiction. I'm sorry. I'm okay. What's going on? It's Monday morning. It's too much for this. Um, but I was lucky because there was so much love in my family, too. And that's what makes it complex and confusing. And you wrote this, and I want to talk about it. You wrote... Essentially, Parish is a story about a family's attempt to survive generational lack of access to healthy ways of coping with what has been done to them and what has been done by them. I'm so sorry. That's okay. In part, it's a story about what this family's love looks like when the members haven't experienced love or been taught to love. And that's really what it is. No one in this book is a villain, and no one is... Well... I mean, we can debate that, but the point is that sometimes it's lack of knowledge. It's lack of understanding more. And you get what you've been given. And even when you want more, it's not that simple to just mm-hmm. say, I won't do that. It's in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, how did you approach that healing without making it look like a Hallmark movie? You know, that's not how it works, right? You're like, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you just stop and you never, <laughs> you know, it, it never happens and sunshine mm-hmm. comes out and rainbows are beautiful. And how did you approach that while still being really honest with the process? Well, I think it was uh, both a bit of like this, a fascination with characters that I've seen who are written as balanced characters and being a person who watches people um, and tries to love people where they are, not from where I am. Um, Mm. One of my favorite people in the world, he's gone now, um, he passed away last year, but was my uncle. And he was this very complicated man, very mean man. Um, mm. He only loved one person, maybe two people in the world. And it was me and my mother. Mm. And he had children, um, but his relationship with them from birth, it was, he was always in their lives, but it was very complicated. He was just this miserly man. And my mother, who is this religious um, woman looks at him and she has to believe, and a lot of people I know have to believe that someone will be better in order to yeah. actually be able to love them, at, right? Like at the time. But yeah. I've always, I at a very young age, I always, I always kind of believe that People are just who they are, and there are reasons they are that way that I might never know because of what we do with truth and how we fear truth. So if I am going to love someone or if I am going to feel compassion or empathy or anything for someone, it has to be just about where they are today. 
right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was a valuable like way of thinking when it comes to when it came to writing these characters and adding those complicated way those complicated patterns and behaviors and these I don't know contradictory ways in which they loved and, and, and lived. And I think it allowed me, I never saw anyone in in the book as a villain. They were all just these incredible people, these sad and happy sometimes. Yes. Yes. Who needed this story to be told. Yeah. And so keeping them really rooted in who they are at that moment mm -hmm. allows you to not think they need to be something completely different. And that change can feel monumental even when it looks small. Even when it looks not like you know, a pretty picture at the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love right. that. And, and that I feels think very I cried true. a lot when I was writing this book. There were yeah. times I said, Oh, why am I doing this to myself? It was it was these are some very the things that they live with, they were very real to me. And they sat with mm-hmm. me and I became them in many mm-hmm. ways. And it was it was a very I tell people I understand that this is not one of those flowers, it's not a Hallmark read, but I think that it's so important. Um, oh my, yeah. And beautiful and uplifting and hopeful. It is because when the mess, sometimes the message isn't great enough to hear, but it's so important to dig up those roots, right? Mm-hmm. Because you think it's getting worse, but really it's getting better. And it's not only getting better for you, it's getting better for the future for everyone that sees what you're doing, for everyone who benefits from what you're doing. And that is, I think, the hump that's hard to get over is that in the beginning, it will be worse. It will Mm -hmm. feel worse. It will all come out. There will be conversations nobody wants to be having and people Mm -hmm. will get upset. And, you know, it does. So that's, it's the short-term pain that reaps such long-term benefits. Mm. I love that. Oh, I love that. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to be listening to this over and over. Oh, this is us. what, so yes. I'm just going to be like... So, Latoya, uh, it was wonderful speaking with you. Uh, where can readers find you? Well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Latoya Watkins. And my website, latoyawatkins.com. And they can find Parish anywhere the books are sold. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much well, for talking to us. Thank you all so for much. having me. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, me too. Thank, thank you. you. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen.com or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.